where we're we going to um, start from tonight is Isaiah 54. Well, no, actually, no, we're not going to start from Isaiah 52. We're going to start from Isaiah 52. We're going to go from Isaiah 52 and we're going to kind of go through a little bit. And what we're going to try and do again is to try and pretend that we don't know that the New Testament's been written yet. <clears throat> we'll start from verse 13. <clears throat> Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. What you get here is uh, kind of a contradictory, almost, passage, where it begins by talking about the servant. So this is one of the servant songs in Isaiah. And it says that he's going to be exalted and, and uh, extolled by people. But the very next passage tells you what? That he's... His face is going to be marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. Well, hold on, does that mean that we're going to have a really ugly king? The ugly king is going to be extolled. That's a strange introduction, isn't it? There's no doubt about the fact that Jesus, when he came the first time, was not particularly exalted and extolled. And he certainly wasn't lifted very high as far as the nation of Israel were concerned. And of course in chapter 53, it moves up and uh, says, Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, who's he? Well, he's the guy that's uh, been the is the servant who is going to be exalted and extolled, and whose visage was marred. That's the he, the one who will sprinkle many nations. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. Well, no, because of his visage in verse fourteen, perhaps. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Well, his form, uh, verse 14 of the previous chapter. Are they talking about the same thing? Is one just talking about the fact that uh, he was just an average looking Joe in chapter 53, but in chapter 52 at the end there, that's talking about the way he looked after he'd been scourged? Maybe. But from this vantage point, you don't know, do you? He is despised and rejected of men. Hold on a minute. He's supposed to be exalted and extolled. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Isn't this, isn't this a strange passage? Who on earth is this talking about? Is it talking about two people? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So the reason that they didn't esteem him is because they thought that God didn't esteem him. That's what a false religion does. False religion will look upon Christ and will not esteem him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, or for our peace, was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Now, uh, what's it talking about in verse 5? Well, in verse 15 of the previous chapter, it says that he will sprinkle many nations. Does that have to do with the... Uh, Verse 5 of the next chapter? Maybe. But let's just look at verse 5. Wounded. Okay, so... So he gets a wound because of us. Do you see? We have transgressed. Now, to transgress means that uh, something is marked like out of bounds or, you know, private property or something like that and we step over the line knowing that we're wrong. Okay? We've transgressed. We have trespassed. He's bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities is uh, usually the outward manifestation of sin. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. So chastisement. Chastisement is like a discipline. So, or a punishment. So we'll just put a punishment here. And the way that it's here uh, dealt with is not for our iniquities, but for our peace. Now, what this means is that, that this punishment, which is this, is to bring us peace. Do you see? So what we have going on here is a vicarious uh, suffering, a vicarious work that this person is doing on behalf of us. 
By his stripes we are healed. So, stripes, yeah, I mean, stripes here, particularly things that he's being beaten. Um, by, with canes or, you know, rods or with a lash or something like that. But he is receiving punishment again. Not for our sins, but so that we can be healed. So this goes together here, you see. So the result of him being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities is that he brings peace and healing to us. Do you see that? And then it turns from him and turns, well, briefly from him to us. What's the problem with us? Well, all we like sheep have gone astray. Have you ever worked with sheep before? Yes. It's an experience working with sheep. You have a new, a whole new respect for shepherds and sheep shearers. Can you understand a lot more? Yes. Yes. So, um, they never go where you want them to go. No. Never. Um, We've all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's what sheep do, don't you? Just, you know, you're chasing a group down and they scatter like this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, um, Yahweh and this iniquity, remember, is not one person's iniquity. Okay? So it's corporate. Do you see? Whatever he's doing, he's doing for a whole bunch of people. In fact, he's not just doing it for a whole bunch of people. Notice here that he's doing it for all. That's very important. He's doing it for all. And even if we say all, all Israel, it, it is all Israel, okay? So, that means that, that this individual is carrying upon himself the iniquity of all sinners. And if you want to reduce it down to all sinners in Israel, by all means do so. You can do. Although Peter, in his first epistle, I believe, he applies it to the church. Uh, he gives it a, a more universal uh, aspect. <coughs> but not all of Israel was saved, folks. And yet, the iniquity, the uh, Lord did lay on him our iniquity. Okay, so as far as the Lord's end of the transaction is concerned, I hope you can see that there is provision. 
through this work here. He's, he's called the servant in the previous chapter. And he's the one who is supposed to be exalted and extolled and very high. But none of this sounds very uh, encouraging in those respects. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As the sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? Okay, his generation here, with this basically kind of his genealogies. What's the, the idea here? Where's he come from? For he was cut off from the land of the living. So he's going to die. He's not just going to be wounded and bruised. Okay, he's going to die. For the transgressions of my people, that's God speaking, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. That seems to be a kind of a strange thing. How on earth can that happen? How can his grave be made with the wicked and with the rich in this, in this way? Well, maybe because the rich people were wicked, I suppose. That's actually not what happened though, okay? There was a literal uh, fulfillment of that, but it wasn't the way that most people would have thought about that literal fulfillment. They would have thought wicked rich people. And this, by the way, tells us that, that within what we might call plain sense interpretation or literal interpretation, there are parameters of meaning. Okay, So people can differ even when they're agreeing on the wording. That's important. Okay, that, that should humble us a little bit. Um, thinking that we've got it all sorted out. <clears throat> yet, oh, hold on, I haven't got that there yet. Uh, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Well, if there's no, he didn't do any violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, there's no, nothing twisted and wrong that's coming out of his mouth, because out of the heart, uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If this is the case with this individual, this is a very remarkable individual. He's, he's bearing the sins of people, he's, he's exalted, and yet you've got this contradiction going on, uh, but his merits are such that he is very unusual as far as uh, being a righteous. This is a righteous man we're speaking about here. He's not one of these. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So the bruising that he receives, okay, this reinforces that this comes from God. It's within the plan of God. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. Well, that's kind of clear, isn't it? He's, he's a sacrificial offering. 
that's an I. And I think there's two R's in offering, or is it two R's or one R? Yeah, two I've got F, F, F. One R. One R, okay. You might not be able to read my writing, but I am spelling correctly. So he's a sacrificial offering. All of this is before Christ comes on the scene. I mean, centuries before. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. All right, several weird things going on here. Who are, now, who are we talking about now? Now we're, we are dealing with somebody who is going to have prolonged days and who is going to prosper because God is going to prosper him. Um, he sees his seed. What kind of seed is this? It's usually a genealogical line. It's usually um, a literal uh, line from a uh, head of a family, like Abraham's seed and so on and so forth. This, though, doesn't seem to be that what's going on here because look at the language. I mean, at least there's a possibility that that's not what's entailed. Because the servant is, a, is an, an individual who's stra- he's kind of apart from the general run of mankind. Okay? Some of this language is, um, is difficult to make out. Who is it really talking about? Who is it on about here? I mean, as far as what, what do we do with this character? Is it Messiah? Is it somebody that was prophesied years ago? Who is this individual? Is it the same guy, the, the person from Judah of Genesis 49, you know, who will have the scepter? Well, this, hold on a minute. I mean, this, what's he going through? Notice it says that he will prolong his days. He will prolong his days. Um, well, he's dying, isn't he? He's going to die. So we have at least an inference that he will die, but he won't stay dead. When it talks about the seed, as I've said, because the soul is being made an offering, because you have all of this uh, vicarious language going on, obviously he's purchasing things. He's purchasing people. Do you see? So the seed may well not be literal descendants. It may be, as it were, spiritual descendants. Those that have been healed by him. Those that have been uh, brought to peace with God by him. Do you see? By his knowledge, my righteous servant. There's that word again. It was there in 52.13. My righteous servant shall justify many, 
So then we've got here a judicial um, deal going on here that God is instigating through this individual on the behalf of sinners. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I, this is God, will divide him a portion with the great. Oh, we're back to that again now. So we're back to 52.13. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. His soul that had been made an offering for sin. So this is a, isn't this a strange passage when you read it in light of what we've read so far? It kind of hits you right, you know, in the face, doesn't it? Like, who, what on earth? Now, the only question is, is it talking about the same guy? Is the same one that's going to be highly exalted, the servant who's exalted, is he also the one that's going to um, justify many? Well, notice, you see in verse 13 of 52, my servant shall deal prudently, be exalted, extolled, and very high. And then look at 53 and verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many and bear their iniquities. It's the same person. In some uh, traditions of ancient Judaism, they thought that this was two different people. A ruler and then somebody would, you know, be a servant who died and suffered. They couldn't figure this out. But now look what happens as we come to the end of the chapter. He was numbered with the transgressors, which means that he's counted as one of these. Do you see? I mean, this person here, the servant, is counted under you know, the general heading of sinners. Although he's called righteous. And he bore the sin of many, he made intercession for the transgressors, or on behalf of the transgressors. So his work here in chapter 53 is on behalf of sinners, and it's God, Yahweh, who sends him to do this. But then it gets even more interesting in the next chapter. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not laboured with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Well, that is weird too. That doesn't seem to make sense. What's Isaiah doing? Well, from a certain perspective, this might you might think that Isaiah has just been awake too long or... You know, he's been um, smoking something he shouldn't have smoked or whatever, I don't know, but that this is like, what are you talking about, Isaiah? This is, this is weird. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Why? Well, why would you do that? Yeah, planning on company. Yes, you haven't got enough room. 
For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. This is the barren, okay, in verse 1 of chapter 54. For you will forget the shame of your mouth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Now is this talking about an individual woman? Probably not. It's probably talking about the nation of Israel. Okay? Who... The Lord is married to. Now, we've come across this language before in Hosea 2. You will call me no longer master, you will call me husband. And I will betroth you to me forever. Do you remember that? Here we are. Um, Here we are. The same kind of language. But now what we have here is also this idea of a redeemer. Where do we get the idea of a redeemer from? Well, we've seen it in some of this new covenant language that we looked at particularly last week. We know that God's going to redeem Israel, but we certainly saw it in the previous chapter. So it fits, doesn't it? He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you. Well, it certainly doesn't seem like it, I'm sure. You know, it's like Paul. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding weight of eternal glory. Well, hold on a minute. doesn't seem like a brief moment at all. seems like an awful long time. And you've got the same kind of language here. It's because, you know, there's something ahead that, that so far outpaces and outweighs and outclasses what we have to go through here that you can't even compare it. But with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And again, let's pause here just to, to, to understand. The little wrath doesn't seem like a little wrath. It seems like a great deal of wrath. And what you're supposed to do is say, well, if this is a little wrath, it doesn't feel like it. It certainly feels like... I'd hate to see what a great deal of it was because this is, this is bad. But then try to imagine what everlasting kindness is then in the opposite scale. Is it just he's being nice to us now? 
and we're not being persecuted anymore, so we've got a bit of a reprieve. Is that all that's being spoken of? No, this is a positive moving towards the, uh, well, the apple of his eye, which is what Zechariah refers to Israel as, in an everlasting um, movement of love and compassion and kindness. And the brief moment of suffering will be over forever. And once this this movement begins, it will never cease. It will be a continuous movement. Never, never stopping, never pausing, never ceasing, always moving forward. Yeah. That's, let me uh, just move forward here, Robert, because I've got a lot to get through. Okay, pay attention here. Verse 9. For this is like the waters of Noah to me, For as I have sworn, there's the oath, that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. This is the covenant that is being made with Israel, it is a salvation covenant. Okay, previous chapter. Redemp- redemption, sacrifice. So is chapter 54 now talking about Israel? Yes. It's not talking about the servants. No, it's talking about, exactly, it's talking about Israel who have benefited, this is Israel, who have benefited from what the servant has done. Do you see? Um, the, The waters of Noah, notice what the oath is in verse 9. What is the oath that God swore to Noah? Never a flood again. Okay. Does that sound like the oath that was taken in the Noahic Covenant? Yeah. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, hold on a minute. Isaiah is, is an 8th century Jewish prophet. Noah is what? Circa 4000 BC? I don't know. What, something like that. He's 3,500 or 3,000 plus years before this. But notice, and by the way, there's no Israel when Noah was around. So if that's the case, wouldn't you expect a little bit of deviation, a little bit of rewording, you know, a little bit of, of uh, expansion or transformation in 3,000 years of the covenant? If it was human. Yes. But God, when he makes a covenant, he doesn't change the oath of the covenant which is what I've been telling you. That's why you can stick by these covenants, you see? The covenants tell you what God's going to do. And he's, he's not going to change his plan. Which means that you can't have a theology that says God's all through with Israel. 
and the promises to Israel are now given to the church, which is the new Israel, and Israel gets all the curses. You cannot have that without a change in the covenant and the parties to the covenant. And God is not into that. We'll see. So what we have here actually is well it's it's a salvation covenant. Um, notice that a salvation covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is not a salvation covenant. Where on earth is a promise in the oath that of the Abrahamic covenant for a saviour to come and save people? What about the Noahic covenant? That's not a salvation covenant as far as saving from sin. It saves a few people from water. But it doesn't save, you know, all of Noah's generation or those after as far as their relationship with God is concerned. The Davidic covenant's not a salvation covenant either. There's nothing in there saying that I'll, you know, I'll save people from their sins. Neither is the priestly covenant. The Mosaic Covenant. Yeah, if you can keep it, you're good. But obviously it doesn't work that way. None of the covenants that we've looked at so far deal with salvation. But if you don't deal with salvation, and here I'm talking about salvation from sin. If you don't deal with that, then you don't deal with the problem, do you? Because there was a fissure that that began in Genesis 3. There was a curse that God put upon the earth. There was a, a, uh, a condemnation upon man and woman. There was a death, a separation between God and man that happened. And so, bang, went all of God's plans. Man is now a sinner, he's a rebel. God is not in all of his thoughts. It's all right promising all of this stuff, all of this golden age, all of this wonderful stuff, but unless you have redemption from sin, you, you might as well, this is all smoke. It is. It's all smoke. That's why this is really important. All right. Let's. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff, and I don't. I can't go through all of these passages. I. I'm sorry. So let's. Eh? Yes. I want to know if in, in the original Hebrew, where these are these are capped off. Are they capped in the original Hebrew? What are? That it is a person that has. A need for being capitalized because servant is not always capitalized. Oh no, that's in the translation. It's not in the Hebrew. Okay, so are they referencing it then to the Lord? Yes. Yeah, they're reading the word. They're reading the context. They they understand this guy's important guy, so they capitalize the yes. Yeah.
Right. Chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. There's your Messiah there. There's your Christoph. To preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Did you, do you know that Jesus quoted that in the synagogue? And then he closed the book and he said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. But he didn't finish the verse. He stopped mid-verse. Because verse 2 says, Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and then it says this, to comfort all who mourn. Well, days of vengeance don't seem to be very comforting things. But, please notice this. This is a very important passage, by the way, this one. <clears throat> please notice that the day of vengeance may be necessary and may have to come in order for the day of comfort to come. But notice the day of vengeance of our God. Please underline that. The day of vengeance. And it says in verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. They've got ashes. They've got nothing. All the good stuff is just burned up. It's, they've got nothing. He's going to restore stuff to them. Beauty. Garment of praise. I saw oil of joy for mourning. They're mourning right now. Now they are, uh, then they will rejoice. Garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Uh, so, again, this, the, the, the one who's talking here, the Spirit is upon me, is the one who's going to do all this. Don't you wish that Jesus would have just read on a little bit in the synagogue and said, all this is going to be fulfilled too? You see, in this passage in Isaiah, it's together. Once again, do you see, it's together. But it's been separated, hasn't it? Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He was rejected by Israel. And he ascended. And he's coming back someday. If the first part of this passage was fulfilled to the letter, the second part will be fulfilled to the letter too. We cannot play these hermeneutical gymnastics with the scriptures where we believe 
the first coming prophecies and we spiritualize the second coming prophecies. You cannot do that. That's, that's disingenuous um, and it's actually um, dumb because it's calling God a bad communicator, saying that he's speaking out of two, both sides of his mouth. Sometimes he means it literally, sometimes he doesn't. And it can be, he can change uh, interpretative horses mid-sentence. No, we, we, don't, we don't treat God that way. We don't treat our own communications that way. We looked at chapter 62 last week, um, but let's look at chapter 65, which is an interesting and rather perplexing chapter. And this is one I told you to read. There's a, a whole bunch going on here and so on. We don't need to read the whole thing. <clears throat> uh, but we'll go from verse 8. We can, I mean, uh, if, unless you want to start at verse 1, we can do that too. Do you want to read the whole thing? Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that's plural, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah an heir of my mountains. There's a king. So Jacob is Israel. Judah is one of the tribes of Israel. And a king is going to come from Judah. Yes? My elect shall inherit it. So here the elect is, is Israel, but not all Israel. Notice. Because he says, I'm not going to destroy them all. So this is, you've got here remnant theology again. Sharon, this is a place in uh, Israel, shall be a fold of flocks. In the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down. For my people who have sought me. <clears throat> but you are those who forsake the Lord. <clears throat> who forget my holy mountain. Who prepare a table for Gad. And who furnish a drink offering for Menai. <clears throat> you might have different translations here. These are pagan um, gods. Um, I think some of you have uh, may have Shemosh. Do you? And what? Destiny. Destiny. Destiny and yeah, and some of you may have pagan gods' names. Okay. Therefore I will number you for the sword and you shall all bow down to the slaughter because when I called you did not answer. When I spoke you did not hear but did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. What's going on here? He's going to bless some and he's going to have a go at others. But this is what you're going to find in the prophets. You're going to find that he's going to have a, he's going to have a go at them and then he's going to bless them. Or bless them and have a go at them. And the question comes, you know, which way round is it? And you, you can only do, find this out by, by actually focusing on the uh, the wrath scriptures and notice uh, earlier it was the wrath just for a moment and then looking at the 
blessings, and the blessings usually are everlasting. You see? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. You have, you shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen. That's the elect earlier. For the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. These are obviously saints. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten. Ah, again you've got this, see this golden age coming. And because they are hidden from my eyes. For behold, I create a, create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So you've got a complete transformation here going on. And uh, certain of the people are going to come under censure and then certain of the people are going to enter into joy and, and blessings. And they're even going to be renamed, the, the elect. Okay, They're even going to be renamed. And they're going to be placed in a new heaven and a new earth. And um, the kind of inference is that they're going to just leave this one behind. It's like getting out of a old jalopy, you know, that's, the doors are falling off and, you know, like a clown's car and so on. It's got smoke coming up out the bonnet and everything. And you jump in this brand new roller and drive off. What does this do, though, to your idea of the millennium and your idea of a thousand year reign? Well, you might think here that this, this kind of destroys that because it's, it's just jumped straight to the new heavens and new earth. But this is not giving you the whole picture. This is a prophecy and the prophecies just give you certain aspects of the picture. You, you have to build the picture up. So Mike, because Mike's um, more organised than I am, he gave you one of these things from my chart last week. And what I was trying to do is build that picture up. And so let's, uh, if, can I move, take this off now? Okay. Let's um, try and build the picture up a little bit more here with the data that we've got. Although I've got to add more from 65 before we go into Jeremiah. So, so far we've got a, uh, so we've got this thing very clearly in there. 
Okay. We've also got um, a time of wrath. But then we've got eternal blessings. Once again, Israel is married to God, married to Yahweh. Um, bunch of other stuff, but then you've got this new heavens and new earth promise. For, yeah, vicarious, for sinners. And uh, in, we had Lord, Branch, Judge, King before. So the, the title that we want to put up there along with that is this title, Servant. Um, now, what we might think from where we've got to is that this new heavens and new earth is actually comes after the wrath here and is, is uh, this, which it may well be, and this, and, you know, the lion lying down with the lamb and all of that stuff. Okay, Isaiah um, 11 and uh, Micah 4. some of the other passage that we looked at. But some of the things that we spoke about last week may, may cause some confusion there because last week, remember, we also had... Did he put this in there? I said there was one contradiction in there. Oh, yes, sin and the curse. You see that at the bottom of what Mike did? Everything looks rosy and fantastic, and then, but you've still got sin and the curse going on. So, does that mean that the sin and the curse in the new heavens and new earth? Maybe, maybe, for as much as we know here. But then, that doesn't really fit in particularly well with God's dealing in wrath and then the continuing to have mercy and blessing. It's hard to make all of the picture out, isn't it? You can make quite a lot of it out. But there are still things, there are questions that are unanswered. This isn't going to get sorted out, by the way. This isn't going to get sorted out until the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and just to, uh, to drive that home, look at verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall 
no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. All right. You're starting to see a problem with your conception of this. It's not perfect, is it? Again. Well, you, first of all, you've got kids and you get old people. Can I say old people? Well, not then, obviously. That's the idea. It's not, not very old. But you've got sinners. Verse 21. They shall build houses and, and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat of their fruit. This is a picture that keeps coming up. Okay, every man will sit under his fig tree or by his vineyard, rest against the vineyard and so on. They shall not uh, build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall know, sorry, my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, but they will bring forth children. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. There will be children born. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. That's not today, folks. We all know that. We were praying for a house this week. We prayed for a house last week. God hasn't answered yet, which tells me this isn't ha- this isn't happening now. He said you should build your house. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I'm not. Yeah, I'm missing something, aren't I? Yeah, exactly. I just need to ask for uh, the materials, the land, the money, and then someone to build it. All right. <clears throat> and while they are still speaking, I will hear. This, why? Well, because this is a this is a a communion, a relationship of love, love and response, communication and, and response. The communication has been restored. Okay, so in a husband and wife relationship, when things are going as they ought to go, then the wife speaks to the husband. The hun- husband, you know, doesn't go, mm, you know, and carry on watching the game or whatever the husband responds do you see is that hitting a home anywhere yeah or the husband let's just have a bit of equanimity here yeah or the the husband speaks to the wife and the wife instead of saying uh, I'm too busy I can't talk to you right now um, stops and listens to her husband Okay? Why? Because that's the way it should be. Can't always be in this world. Or isn't always that way in this world. But that's the way it should be. And so that's the way it is here. 
we speak to God and God responds straight away. Which means, by the way, there's no more lessons to learn. Do you see? There's no more sanctification going on, guys. Okay? There's no longer going under the, you know, the, the treadmill of things or the, something else. I can't think of the word. On the water wheel or whatever. There's none of that anymore. Because there's some, there's a restored relationship. There's a restored man, oh sorry, human God, human divine relationship here. That's what's pictured. No, what did you say? Sinners? Yeah, they're still sinners, but we're not still sinners. If you said we. But they're still, okay. It certainly appears that way. Yeah. So, restored... Divine human relationship. Okay, we'll keep going. Look at verse 25. The wolf shall lie and the lamb shall lie... Sorry. Why can't I read properly here? It is English. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. That's right out of chapter 11. Apart from the serpent's food stuff. Okay, so... And the serpent's food eating dust, by the way, where's that from? Yeah, that's from Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden, isn't it? So it's like there's, there's a... We've been waiting a long time for that. But in this era to come, that's this, this fulfilment, or starts to be fulfilment of that. Now, because chapter 11, and he's quoting from chapter 11 there, uh, because that talks about the branch, the, the root of Jesse, yes, the king who's coming, obviously this is a messianic prophecy too. Um, chapter 66. I hope you don't mind going through the chapters this way, but um, at least I'm not going through all of the genealogies, am I? With you. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Stop there. This means that, that the way things were designed, heaven is, was God's dwelling place, but the footstool is earth. So there's a, supposed to be a connection between heaven and earth. That, by the end of the Bible, that, that connection is going to be real close. <laughs> Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? This is what he said to David. For all those things my hand has made. 
and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Contrite means you have this this uh, repentance going on all the time. Okay? So, uh, poor probably means not necessarily uh, financially poor. That could mean that. But the idea is that, that spiritually, in spiritual poverty, as it were, that they, they're not um, thinking they're great shakes, that they've arrived spiritually. Who trembles at my word. This is a great passage because it shows, it's one of the, the passages that shows the centrality of the word of God. God is concerned with how you and I respond to his word. His word reflects him, therefore reflects his character. Our faith in his word means that we have faith in his character. Our trembling at his word means that we understand it's his word. We don't treat the Bible nonchalantly apart from many Christians do. Many Christians, it's a book to use. For them, it's not a book to them, a revelation to them, telling them things. It's for them to feel good. And that's, you can't tremble at the word when you're just opening it for pink tea, fluffy you know, rosy devotionals. Somebody in jail in a prison in Iran is not opening the Bible if they've got one for that reason. And somebody in the West shouldn't be either. They should be, if they're, if they're getting devotionals from the Bible, they're getting some meat. They're getting some truth. They're getting something that maybe boxes their ears a little bit. Do you see? That's a good devotional. But it trembles at my word. It says, He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. Uh, he's back to chapter 1 again. Chapter 1, he kind of opened up like this. I'm fed up with your sacrifices. <laughs> okay? So will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that, that in which I do not Delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, you're going to see that quite a lot, my name's sake, by the way, in Ezekiel quite a bit. Let the Lord be said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. We're back to days of vengeance again. 
Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause delivery, shut up the womb, says your God? Obviously not. It's in the same kind of category of Jesus says, you know, if you ask for a fish, will your father give, me a stone, give you a stone? Um, what's, what's being referred to here is the birth, or we might even say rebirth, of Israel. Zion. In a day. In a day. Is this referring to Exodus? Well... No, look at the next verse. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. It can't be the Exodus because they didn't have Jerusalem at that time. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. Like a river. Well, alright. Peace like a river. So, how's it going to come then? What's the idea? It's obviously figurative language. It's poetic language. Flowing. It's going to just keep flowing. It's not going to dry up. Non-stop. Yeah. It's not like, you know, God's going to turn the tap on for an hour, you know, we'll have a bit of peace and then he's going to turn it off again and it's all going to dry up. It's, it's a river coming towards Israel, a river of peace. And the glory of the Gentiles, like a flowing stream, the glory of the Gentiles coming to Israel. Then you shall feed. On her side you shall be carried and be dandled on her knees, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and his indignation to his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Hold on a minute. We were in peace like a river a few verses ago, and now look what's going on. Do you see, you see these, this juxtaposition all the time? This is days of vengeance again, to comfort those who mourn, you see. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, shall be consumed together, says the Lord. He doesn't like religious uh, idolatry. For I know their works and their thoughts, not just the externals but the internal. 
it shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. Remember that. Underline it. In fact, I'll write it on here. Nations will come to see God's glory. And if we didn't do it last week, Israel has a preeminent position in this picture that's being painted. But you got wrath. Have I put wrath on there? Yeah, time of wrath. Where am I? 19. I will set a sign among them and those among them who escape I will send to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pul, to Lud, who draw the bow and to Baal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Oh, here's this people that don't uh, see how God is going to fulfill this stuff in the future. They say, well, these nations don't exist anymore. And what about the pulling of the bow? You know, what about that? Do you think horses and bows, you know, will, that that's what it will be in the future? Well, I don't, I, I don't even bother to answer that stuff. I say, well, then we'll see, won't we? Um, But this is, this is not a problem for God. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. This is blessing. And I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. Who? Well, if you are a replacement theologian, you will say, the Gentiles. I'm going to take Gentiles for priests and Levites. But he's been focused here, not just about the nations, he's been focused here particularly about Jerusalem who is, and Israel, who is going to be preeminent. And so these are literal priests and Levites. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. That's, Jesus quotes that, of course, um, in Mark 9. By the way, what a way to end the book. <laughs> what a way to end the book. You know, it's not and they all live happily ever after. Although, although, really, the good guys do, but then he turns to the, the wicked. Uh, it, it's kind of, Difficult to put this all together. Um, 
we need to put in, if I can stick this here, Jerusalem is blessed and obviously has a central role in all of this scenario. So this is Isaiah. Isaiah's told us a lot. There's a lot more in Isaiah, but we couldn't do. But remember, our first chart tonight had to do with the servant. Okay? And this this, uh, paradox of the fact that he's going to be exalted, but he's going to be despised. He's going to be given life, but he's going to die. Strange. Uh, then you've got this material as well. Um, what I want to do, can you stand more of this, a little bit more? Okay. You know, when you were talking about the beginning of Isaiah, the sacrifice, or, or, yeah, God didn't want the sacrifice. Yes. That really stuck with me. Well, that reminded me, I was hoping it stuck with me, that you ended last class with, God doesn't want sacrifices he wants obedience for our sins you know, sin yes forget the sacrifice he wants to be obedient you may not appreciate that point you mean. yes in fact go to Malachi the last book in the Old Testament you're going to see something that's similar to that you know that, that those that that uh, fear my word and so on that you read in uh, we read in 62 that, you just reminded me of that, Robert, so I was going to call your attention to this passage in chapter 4. No, chapter 3. <clears throat> uh, the prophet is inveighing again against the hypocrites in Israel. But look at, uh, after we finish talking in verse 5, verse 16, verse 15, sorry, verse 16 of chapter 3 of Malachi says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them, and so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Well, how can they meditate on his name? Well, through the word, obviously, through, his, through the book. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. He, he cares about how we respond to his word. On the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The one that serves, doesn't serve God is the one that doesn't listen to the prophet, doesn't think about the words. The one that does are the ones that that think about what God has said. Meditate on the word. God sees that. That's what he takes notice of. You know, do do you fear God? Do you fear his name? Do you meditate on his word? Do you tremble at his word? Do I? God takes notice of that. The challenge of faith is to keep that in your mind's eye every day. 
because I've just told you about it, so you're going to keep it in your mind right now, and you're all amening in, inside to this. And then tomorrow, something rotten's going to happen. Okay? Or I'm going to, you know, get told about a house that I can't have, or don't want, or whatever, and I'm going to forget about this. And I need to then, what? Meditate on what God says. Okay, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. You know, if you've asked me for a, a, a house, will I give you a rundown thing in, in Willets? <laughs> Sorry. We'll take that out of the... Um, But, you, you know, you, you can get cynical, can't you, you see? All right. Okay, for that, I am going to get... Yeah, yeah. So... Okay, I've probably, I've probably sealed my fate with that remark, but anyway. Um... Chapter 10 of Jeremiah, and then uh, Jeremiah is fantastic. It's uh, next week we're going to stay in Jeremiah. Okay. What? In two weeks. In two weeks. Thank you, Robert. Yes. Just a couple of things that I'm going to bring out here. Chapter 10. um, This is where Jeremiah, or the Lord, really gets a bit sarcastic. But verse 10, it says, But the Lord is the true God, as opposed to the idols that he's been speaking about. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Okay, the everlasting King. Uh, This is important because um, it either means that the King, he is the King now, as the king of creation, and I think that's probably what it's talking about, but it could also be talking about the future in the everlasting realm. Verse 12, He has made the earth by his power, he has established the world by his wisdom, and he has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. And more about the, you know, create, the creation here goes back to having a go at uh, those who are making idols. And then verse 16, the portion of Jacob is not like them. For he, the portion of Jacob, that's God, is the maker of all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So God is saying that he is the portion of of the nation of Israel. He gives himself to Israel. Well, you wouldn't be surprised because he's going to marry them. And the husband is supposed to give himself to the wife in that sense, in that way. Um, But this also means that if God is going to do that, he'll have to clean up Israel's act, won't he? This is Jeremiah we're talking about. Okay? Okay? If you know anything about the times of Jeremiah, we're not talking about the golden age of spirituality in Israel at this time. We're talking about, Oi, I've had enough of you, you're going out to Babylon. See how you like it there. 
because of your idolatry. Do you see? Verse 23 of the same chapter. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Chapter 11 and verse 1. The word of the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. That's the Mosaic covenant. And Jeremiah is to call people back to the Mosaic Covenant, okay? And that's the, uh, that's, that's what he goes on and invades against them, um, here. But in verse 13, it kind of comes to a crescendo. It says, For according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah. And according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. So things aren't looking very good. Maybe God, with Jeremiah, maybe he's about to do away with Israel. This is it. In uh, chapter 14, Jeremiah, as he does sometimes, He starts interceding for Israel. He says in verse 19, Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? Notice, he knows that that Judah have got this coming to them. But he wants to know, have you utterly given given up on them? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but there was no good. And for the time of healing, and there was trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. He's kind of doing a Moses here, isn't he? Saying, what about you? What about your name? And so on. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. For there are among the idols of the nations that, uh, sorry, are there among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait for you since you have made all these, everything. Now the covenant here, I think he's referring to, must be the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? It can't be, remember your covenant, the Mosaic covenant, because then what would, what would, uh, God didn't even have to reply to that one, because Jeremiah's already been preaching against that, do you see? You say, well, well, yeah, we've, we've messed up on that one, but remember your covenant with us, are you not going to forsake us utterly, do you see? So he's calling to mind the covenant. 
Moving along. I love to, uh, there's all kinds of stuff I want to bring out in uh, Jeremiah, but I don't have time. But first, uh, chapter 23. I'm trying to get to chapter 30. Chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock. Let's remember this word here, remnant. We've seen the remnant quite a lot today. Not all Israel is Israel. Paul says in Romans. This is what he means. The context is the remnant. Okay? Not all Israel, just because you're a Jew, doesn't mean you're going to be saved. But it does mean that all true Israel will be saved. The true Israel is the remnant. I will gather the remnant out of my flock Oh, sorry, out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. You might just want to say, uh, get this idea of gathering, gathering in. Okay, I would put it on the board but there isn't any room. I suppose I can stick it down here. That's uh, so okay, we're at 23... And verse 4. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking. And last week we noticed those passages that talked about safety and no more fear. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David, the king, A branch of righteousness. Well, certainly that's not Zedekiah, who's in Jeremiah's day. A branch. Here's the branch again. So he shows up again. He's obviously a king. The king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Just like in Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 11. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. When you see will dwell safely or something like that, that's kind of a, um, a promise, a covenant promise for Israel for the future. They never have really dwelt safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. You might have Jehovah Shidkenu, Yahweh Shidkenu. Well, that's, uh, that's what it means. Okay, moving forward. Oh. I must skip, skip stuff. Chapter 30. 
And I told you to read chapter 30 last week. Um, And we'll read it this week and then we'll stop. But your homework for two weeks from now is to read from Jeremiah 30 to Jeremiah 35. That's your reading, Jeremiah 30 to Jeremiah 35. And I'm going to test your theological metal here. Okay? I want you to find uh, thematic connections between the chapters. Thematic connections between the chapters. What do I mean by thematic? I mean themes that you can tie together that those chapters you know, tell you. What do they tell you about God? What do they tell you about Israel? Tie them together. And then we'll do that in class next time. But for this week we'll just do chapter 30. This will kick you off. For the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So this is a new kind of vision. Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back the captivity of my people Israel and Judah. Here's this gathering. Now, it's true, by the way, that from this perspective, it looks as though this is talking about going to Babylon, coming back from Babylon. Okay? And it might be. It might not be. I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. Well, that didn't really happen in the, after the Babylonian captivity. They didn't come, de- come back and possess it. They came back and they were allowed to build on it. But it wasn't theirs. They didn't possess it. Now, these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Israel's the northern tribes. The northern tribes, as far as uh, God is concerned, are not, have not disappeared into the Assyrian hinterlands. That's because uh, when the Assyrians came in at 722 BC, a lot of the ten northern tribes did what I would have done. Yes, headed south. Exactly. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all their faces turned pale? They're in fear. They're in great fear. That's the idea. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Israel. It's a day, it's a particular time. 
when Jacob, Israel will be in trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. All right, hold on a minute. That's strange. We've got to put that down here, haven't we? David raised up. That's what it says. Our job, our job right now is not to try and put all this together and think that we know and we think David is Jesus and everything like that. Okay? That's not our job right now. Our job is to note the details and get the picture. By the way, can I just ask you a question? Do you believe David would be, will be resurrected? You hope so. Do you, does anyone have a problem with David being resurrected? Okay, so this isn't a problem, is it? Okay. Um, Therefore do not fear my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. So Jacob is Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and quiet and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. I will not let you go altogether unpunished. So again, what have you got here? You've got trouble. You've got an awful time of trouble. Such as there is none like it. And yet, Israel's not going to be completely devastated. They're going to be saved. They're going to have peace. They're going to have safety. And it's going to be guaranteed by God. So the two things are sandwiched together. Yes. That, yeah, Jacob's trouble. That's this, again, time of wrath. Yet we see this stuff all the time in the prophets, okay? Um, you can, uh, well, we'll go down a little bit more. We don't need to go to verse 12. He goes back and goes after them again which often happens. Um, but then verse 18, he changes and the, the captivity is coming back. Mercy is going to be given to them. Merriment, punish the oppressors. Um, verse 21, their nobles shall be from among them and their governors, governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach to me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people and I will be your God. That's covenant language. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth in fury, a continuing whirlwind, and it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. 
the fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it and until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will consider it. So that's all we have to do for tonight. Any questions before we close? Do you, uh, so you know your homework. Mike's homework is to make sense of this. Okay? (laughs) And he doesn't know this yet. He doesn't know this yet. But by the time we finish, we need a bigger piece of paper than this. Okay? To get all the, all the details on here. Obviously, you don't want to double up stuff. But what we do need is to keep adding data. Because I want to fill out the picture. So, but by the time we finish Malachi 4, we have a big picture that the prophets have presented us with. And that we can go into the New Testament with.